This morning we are looking at Mark 4 and verses 26 to 34. This is the word of God. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Maybe at some time uh, you've done the activity and you young people, maybe you uh, are doing that activity even in these days where you take an egg carton and you fill it with the soil and then you plant seeds in each of those egg cartons. It's a, a fun activity because you actually are witnessing life taking shape. Uh, you, you plant those seeds and then you watch uh, to see change taking, uh, taking place before your very eyes. You might look at it and in, in instinctively or in, uh, in the moment, you don't see much happening. But if you go back in a couple of days, you'll see that blade shooting up from the soil and it's a sign of life. Something is happening, something is growing. And then you might come back again a day later and the blade that has grown up has stretched perhaps a little bit more. But you're also noticing, as exciting as it is, it's also a very slow process. Uh, It takes time. And as we come back to Jesus' parables this morning, Jesus is using that imagery of, of a seed growing to describe to us something about the kingdom of God. And this morning we want to see that because the kingdom of God is a sovereign work of God, even though it starts small and without much attention, it'll grow and ultimately it will succeed to being something very great. And so this morning we want to think about the growth of God's kingdom. We want to think about how is it that the kingdom of God uh, comes to be. And we want to think about the cause for that growth, the, the manner or the way in which it grows, and then finally the extent of the growth of the kingdom. Well, first then, uh, we have the, the cause of the growth. In verse 26, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. One good idea whenever we're coming to the parables and trying to understand what exactly Jesus is teaching, because even there it tells us in what we were reading that Jesus always was speaking in parables, but the explanation would come privately later. Not every parable does Jesus say, and this is what I mean by that. And so if we're going to understand Jesus's meaning in these parables, one good way of approaching it 
is to think about some of the details that Jesus draws attention to. Whenever you see some detail that is given unusual or perhaps exaggerated attention, then that might be a clue for understanding what Jesus is truly trying to drive home. And that's true even with the parables that we're looking at here. And when you look at these two parables, both of them about seeds and both of them with the idea of the seed growing, Jesus is drawing attention uh, in, with certain details about what he wants you to understand about how the kingdom of God grows. The first thing that he draws attention to here is with the farmer's inactivity. Uh, Jesus here uh, portrays the farmer very, in a very inactive way. You notice it says there that after scattering the seed on the ground, it draws attention to him sleeping. Uh, perhaps an unnecessary detail, we might think. Or you could simply have said that time passes, but he's drawing attention to the farmer himself sleeps and rises night and day. And so even while the farmer himself is sleeping, something is still happening. Activity is still going on. And Jesus here is drawing attention that the growth of the seed does not find its cause ultimately in the farmer. It goes beyond the farmer. It is above the farmer. Something more is at work in this whole uh, enterprise. And so he's drawing attention to the farmer sleeping. But he also draws attention to the farmer's ignorance. It says there that the farmer does not know how in verse 27. Uh, the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. He doesn't observe it, in other words. He doesn't see it happening. It's happening below the surface. He, he simply scatters the seed. And while he doesn't understand or he doesn't know all the implications of what is happening, he simply scatters it, trusting that it will bring forth a harvest. And so Jesus here is drawing attention not only to the farmer's inactivity in terms of the fact that he's sleeping, but also to his limitations, that he doesn't observe or know everything that's happening. And yet he still just scatters the seed. But then you also see the attention drawn on the fact that this is not focused so much on the farmer in the sense that uh, it goes on in verse 28 to say, the earth produces by itself. So again, Jesus here is drawing attention to the fact that it's not so much the farmer, but the earth itself causes something to bring forth. That, that seed brings forth life as it is in the soil. And it's, Jesus even uses the word there that we use the English word automatically from. Uh, we live in a world of things happening automatically. Maybe you have your credit card set up for automatic payments. Uh, it just happens by itself. It, it, it works by itself. Or maybe you hear about automatic cars. They drive by themselves. Uh, they do it automatically. They don't need you to do anything. And here Jesus says, the ground, the earth, produces automatically. That when the, the seed is planted in the soil, that there's something happening. That all that is necessary is in that seed and it brings forth life as it is united in the earth. And so Jesus here is using all of these descriptions to draw attention to this question of what is the cause for the growth of the kingdom? And Jesus is drawing attention that it's not so much the cause of man, 
but that there is something above and beyond human activity. It's not something that grows by the uh, efforts and the intentions of uh, people, but rather that there is a mysterious work that goes beyond that, that God is at work uh, underneath the surface. And just as God is sovereignly in control over the natural world, so he will sovereignly cause the kingdom of God to grow. So you see a seed being planted in the soil. Uh, You don't see any change at first because it begins under the surface. And the same in a person's life. You don't know what the word is doing in a person's life initially. It's only later that it begins to manifest itself in the way that they live and in the choices that they make. But Jesus here is highlighting that the the kingdom of God will take effect not by coercive pressures, not even by physical force, but the message of the kingdom has an inner potency like that seed. It has in it all that it needs to bring forth life as it's united with the soil. And the message of the kingdom, of God's reign in Jesus Christ, that message, when it is united with the power of the Spirit, has all that it needs to transform lives of sinners. That God can use that message, the word of the gospel, to change people's lives. And so it's, it's simplistic to simply say that it is manipulative or to say that it is simply human activity or to say it's simply uh, uh, physical pressures. This is the work of God ultimately. The kingdom of God is God's work, is what Jesus is emphasizing here. The cause for its growth is because this is God's endeavor. God would plant it. That's even what the prophets said that God in the latter days would establish his kingdom and it would grow into a great cedar tree, that God himself would plant his kingdom and it would grow. And so as he's giving these parables here about growth, he's highlighting that the growth will come about not by human manipulation, but by God's sovereign work, that the message itself will have a power behind it that God will use to change people's lives. Martin Luther You remember the German reformer from 500 years ago. Martin Luther could reflect on what happened when he sparked the Reformation, which brought change and people's clarity of the gospel, not only in Germany, but across Europe and beyond. And when Luther reflected on that, Luther said, take me for example. I opposed indulgences, that is the selling of certificates to reduce one's time in purgatory and the punishment for their sin. He says, I opposed indulgences and all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did it all. The Reformation, which brought a widespread renewal and transformation in the lives of millions, was when the word was being preached. It When it was proclaimed in the power of the Spirit, people's lives were being changed because it was the word of God and it was the power of God unto salvation. And so when a person believes in the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the reign of God's grace in Jesus Christ, it's not by the will of flesh. It's not by the will of man. But as John says, 
It is of God. They are born of God. It is a work of God. So Jesus highlights something about how the kingdom of God will grow. It'll grow by God's initiative. It'll grow by the power of God because the message itself will transform people. But he also tells us something about the manner of the growth of the kingdom. We have to remember that the kingdom of God is not something that would have been viewed as a blank slate. Uh, For the people of Israel, they had a concept of God's kingdom. They had a concept of the kingdom of God because they lived under one. They were a nation that had been chosen by God. They were described as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. So they were a people who knew what it meant to live under the authority of God. They were people who lived under the rule of God, and they looked for that rule to be extended. But what we read of in the Old Testament is that the people constantly rebelled against God, and eventually God gave them over to their enemies, and the kingdom of Israel was destroyed. But the prophets were messengers of hope, and the prophets spoke about a coming king, who would come from the line of David, a son of David, who would establish God's reign, who would establish God's kingdom. And when he did, righteousness would prevail and it would usher in an age of blessing. And so the people of Israel were taught to look forward to this kingdom that would be established. They were looking forward to a king who would emerge. But they had an expectation about that kingdom that would emerge. Most people thought the kingdom would come suddenly, and it would come suddenly in one of two ways. Either by political revolt, they would overcome the Romans, they would throw off the the political authorities, or God himself would come in the final judgment. But either way, they were thinking that the kingdom of God would be something that comes suddenly. But you notice here that when Jesus gives these parables, Jesus confronts and even corrects those faulty assumptions. Jesus is teaching here that the kingdom of God is something that comes gradually. It's not something that is suddenly uh, dawned upon us and then it is fully established, but rather Jesus says it comes and then it grows. And over time, it gradually manifests itself. That's why Jesus says there in verse 28, he says, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So why is all this significant? It's significant because Jesus is challenging the expectations that many people had about the kingdom of God. They had expectations. And Jesus is saying, if you insist on those expectations and you ignore what is being revealed to you by God, then you're going to be blinded to what God has done. And in the same way, we can all have expectations of God. I think God should do this. That doesn't seem to me like the kind of thing that God would do if he did that. And at the same time, we have to realize that our expectations need to be informed by the word of God, or we will fall prey to the same faulty notions that many people did in the first century, where we insist that our expectations are the standard. Jesus here is revealing what God has purposed to do. 
His kingdom has come in a certain way, and we are to live in response to his revelation. So Jesus here teaches something about the kingdom of God, the reign of God's grace, the coming of the Lord Jesus. He comes announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news, the good news of salvation from sin. Turn from your sins and believe in the coming king. But now Jesus is announcing how this kingdom grows. People looking around at Jesus might think, you have a little band of followers. What are you talking about? And Jesus is saying, the kingdom is something that grows from a small beginning, but it is something that will grow over time. God's purposes are revealed as he builds his people uh, with time. Just as God causes the seed to grow in the earth and to bring forth fruit in the ground, so God will cause the message of his deliverance from sin to take root in people's lives. And it happens even uh, with, with time. We live in a time where everything is instant, isn't it? With a click of a button, uh, we expect things to be changed. Now a new reality has uh, been established. Uh, we look for the instant and the sudden change, even in our own life, in the lives of other people. We think everything should be different. Um, and Jesus is teaching here that, yes, there can be a definitive change in a moment. But that doesn't take away from the fact that God is still working gradually over time, both in individuals' lives and in society, that we don't measure everything by a single moment but that God causes things to grow with time. So we look in our own lives and we think, I believed in the gospel. I've heard the message of the king and I believe in it. And I think I would expect that I would overcome sin as a result, that I shouldn't be uh, struggling against sin. And yet Jesus is informing us that his word is something that takes root and that it first begins to take hold and take shape, but it's something that gradually grows and something that gradually bears more and more fruit. Or we think about sharing the gospel with someone. I might tell someone about the gospel and I might think they're going to be changed by that moment. And they might be. But they may also, it might be God working over time. We don't see immediately whether there is life. And it may be over time that there begins to be signs of life and change. We think of it as parents. We want to see our children believe in Jesus as king. But there can become a temptation, a, a, a subtlety of, in, of thinking that we should see that change in a moment. Now that you've heard, now I expect to see change. And we need to be reminded that God works gradually over time. That we're like that farmer. We just have to keep scattering the seed trusting that with time there will bear fruit, that it will grow. But the word will work of itself, and it's not ultimately of our own uh, endeavor, our own ability to bring about that change. So Jesus tells us something about the kingdom. He tells us how it grows. Ultimately, it is a work of God. It goes beyond the farmer. It is working of itself automatically by the power of God, the message of God's salvation from sin, from the judgment to come, is something that God will use to transform lives. 
He tells us that it'll grow gradually, that it'll take root and it'll begin to show signs of life and it will grow both in an individual person's life and wider. But God works gradually, not simply suddenly or instantly all the time. And then thirdly, he tells us that it will grow uh, successfully. The extent of the growth of the kingdom is not simply locally, but globally. Jesus goes on in verse 29, he says, the earth produces by itself, uh, sorry, in verse 28, produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In other words, the seed uh, attains its goal, which is the harvest. It reaches the intended aim. God does bring his work to completion. There will be a harvest. And Jesus is playing off the imagery of what the prophet Joel would speak of with the coming judgment. Uh, that there will be uh, the, the sickle that is put in uh, to, uh, to bring about uh, God's judgment. But just as there will be a judgment, so there will be a day of salvation. God's work will be realized. And this is really the purpose of the second parable. It's overlapping and building on that whole idea of the growth of the kingdom. Jesus says in verse 30, what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it uh, is sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Now, sometimes critics of Christianity will look at passages like this and say, see, that's not right. The mustard seed isn't the smallest seed in all of the world. So if that's not right, you can't trust anything in the Bible. The problem with that is, is that it ignores the fact that this was a well-known proverbial saying. The mustard seed was used oftentimes to refer to things that are extremely small. So, for instance, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, if your faith is like the seed of a mustard seed, then it can still do great things. In other words, Jesus was saying that not your faith is a mustard seed, but he was saying even if it is extremely small, even weak faith, a small faith is still uh, something that God can use. And so it is a reference, it is a, a way of speaking to refer to things that are small. A, a mustard seed is extremely small. In diameter, it is between one and two millimeters. And Jesus here highlights the mustard seed to speak about the change from something that was so small, something that you would look past, you wouldn't even notice it if you saw a mustard seed, to something that will grow into something as big as 9 or 10 feet in height. There is a, a great change so that if you had a mustard seed planted in your garden, it would be something you couldn't ignore. And Jesus says the growth of the kingdom of God, though it starts as something insignificant, it looks like something that you could simply push away and brush off, is something that will, by God's design, grow. It will be something that takes root in the lives of many. It'll be successful because it is God's work. But notice that we said that with the parables, when we're trying to understand what Jesus is getting at, it's those extra details that really draw attention to his meaning. Why does Jesus draw attention or emphasis on certain points? And with the mustard seed, what does Jesus draw attention to? He draws attention to the fact that they have the large branches which stretch out. 
and that the birds of the heavens come and find their rest in those branches and find shelter in their shade. They build their nests on the branches. Why does Jesus say that? It's because the imagery of the birds finding rest in one tree is an imagery of describing the nations finding refuge under one source. That's why we read from Daniel chapter 4. Because in that passage, it was depicting the fact that all the nations had come and found refuge under Babylon. They were all living under the reign of that king. And the imagery was is that the, the, that tree was going to be cut down and the, the animals would be scattered. But ultimately, the prophets spoke not just uh, reference, referencing Babylon, but it also spoke about a coming day when the birds of the heavens would come and find shelter in God's kingdom. The prophet Ezekiel makes that point. In Ezekiel 17, he says, On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it will bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it, it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And later, Ezekiel even explicitly identifies all the birds of the air, or all the birds of the heavens, as all great nations. So what is Jesus really trying to teach in this parable? The kingdom of God, the message of God's reign, that has been ushered in through the coming of the Lord Jesus to bring salvation from sin is a message that is going to be blessed by God and it's going to grow and it will succeed not only in drawing many people into it but in drawing the nations into it. Again, the Pharisees listened to Jesus and the temptation was to simply brush him off. This is a man of no learning. This is a man of few followers. If we just ignore him, it'll go away. And yet the message of the kingdom is one that Jesus says will prevail. It is a message that is true. And it is one that is blessed by God's spirit. It will succeed. And it will bring forth a great harvest. Because the nations will come in. The nations will come to see Jesus as king and they will trust in him to find refuge uh, from the judgment to come. They will come to him to find rest from their sins. And this is through his death and resurrection uh, that they find that shelter. That's the good news. That what Jesus is declaring here has been brought to pass in the fullness of time. Maybe this isn't what we would expect God to do. I wouldn't expect God to to interact with his creation. I wouldn't expect God to send his son to die on a cross. I wouldn't expect God to act in such subtle ways or to not draw attention to himself. I wouldn't expect God to call people unto himself only to be rejected by them. And yet, God tells us not to act on the basis of our gut expectations, but on the basis of what he has revealed. And on the basis of what is true. We move forward 2,000 years. And this prophecy, these parables, are fulfilled in Christ. The birds of the heavens have come to find refuge in the Lord Jesus. The nations are coming in. 
But we're still pressed with the question, have we found rest from our sins? Are we finding refuge in the Lord Jesus from the judgment to come? Because Jesus is teaching here that what seems to be something that we can scoff at or look down upon will ultimately prove to be the work of God in the end. And we need to live in light of God's truth. First the blade, then the ear, then the grain in the ear, then the judgment to come. His harvest will, um, uh, will come. The day of judgment will be true. But so is the day of salvation. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we part of those who have found rest in the Lord Jesus? And if you have, then you have this encouragement. God is still working. God is still working. And so the word continues to be scattered. Even where there's resistance, God is still working. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know that our God reigns, to know that there is deliverance from sin and refuge from the judgment to come, we pray, Lord, that by your spirit we would be given the gift of being able to repent of our sins and of believing in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would not make decisions or live life based on our own gut feelings, but that we would live knowing that your word is true and knowing that your works will prevail. Go before us in Jesus' name.